Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. This morning, we're going to begin a new series uh, called Whole Gospel. Whole Gospel. And the, the emphasis on this series is going to be on the message of Jesus that we have received. Uh, John Piper, a well-known pastor, I think he's retired now, once said this. He said, you never, never, never outgrow your need for the gospel. You don't begin the Christian life with this and then leave it behind and get stronger with something else. God strengthens us with the gospel until the day we die. So what we're going to do this, uh, this, for the next three weeks, and I also am very aware that you cannot encapsulate the fullness of, gospel in, in, of the gospel of Jesus Christ in three weeks, but I'm going to do the best to kind of uh, put it together. But what we're going to do is this. We're going to take a look at the message of Jesus Christ that we have received to determine whether or not the message that we have received is truly, listen to this, the whole or complete message. There are messages about Jesus that are spread worldwide, but we actually have to question whether or not the message that is being delivered is actually the one that Jesus intended for us to receive. See, how many of you in this room, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's because at some point you received some sort of message or story from someone about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and listen to this, who are you that has led you to put your faith in him? The gospel message isn't just about who who Jesus is. It's directly connected to who God designed you and I to be. It's the good news about God, and it's also the good news about you. That's that's what the gospel is. You cannot separate you from the gospel and the message there because it affects everything that you are. So let's go ahead and get started. We join me with prayer. Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for everyone that has come today. Lord, I know that you are sovereign, you are divine, you are strategic. God, I thank you for the presence of every person in this place, and I ask, Lord, that we would be like Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Lord, that we would not just hear you, but we would perceive what is being said. That we would not just have ears, but that we would truly hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Got a question. Do you ever play a game uh, as a kid called Telephone? Uh, go ahead and show your hands. You ever play a game called Telephone? Okay, I remember playing this from time to time, and uh, Telephone begins with one person, right, giving a specific message to another person. And then what happens after that? That person is supposed to take that exact message and relay that same message to another person, and so on and so forth, until you get to the last person. And then what happens at the last person is that that last person will share that message with the whole group to verify whether 
the intended message at the beginning was the one that they received. What do you find out, though? More often than not, <laughs> if you've ever played the game, more often than not, what you find out is that the original message get th gets things added to it, it gets things subtracted from it, things are substituted, words are replaced, changed, altered, and transformed to the point that the original message that was intended to be delivered to every person is no longer the message that everyone received. See, this ties directly into what I'm talking about this morning. Sometimes the message that you hear about Jesus is not necessarily the message that Jesus wanted us to receive. Just because we've received a message about Jesus that talks about who he is and what he's done doesn't necessarily mean that the message that we have actually heard is the whole message. Let me take it a step further. Just because you've received the message about Jesus and put your faith in it doesn't mean that it's actually the true message. This isn't an uncommon concern. This is actually something that Jesus was concerned about. If you look at Matthew chapter 16, we see this in verses 13 through 18. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Of course, that's a reference to himself. He replied, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But Jesus was more, import, more importantly concerned about what they were going to say about who he was. He, he says to them, he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of living God. And Jesus replied, Best, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Listen, what we see here is that though many people had something to say about who Jesus was, Jesus was most concerned about those that were closest to him, uh, what they would say about who he was, because they were going to be the ones that were going to be responsible for delivering this message about who he was. Jesus doesn't care about what everybody says about him. He cares about what you say about him. He cares because you're going to be the one spreading the message about who he is. The point is that the quality and authenticity of the gospel message matters to Jesus. We would be lying to ourselves if we believe that every messenger that is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ is truly delivering the message that Jesus intended for us to receive. It's just not true. I'm not going to call anybody specifically out, but the truth is, is that the message of Jesus Christ gets contaminated. It gets diluted. It gets divided. It gets uh, watered down. See, if, if the case was that that never happened, then much of what Paul's content in his letters would not even be there. Look at Galatians chapter 1, for instance, verses 6 through 10. This, this is subtitled, The Perversion of the Gospel. He says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself 
through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the gospel. Pretends. But is not the gospel at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of gospel than the one we preached to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other gospel, which shows us that there were other gospels. He says, if any other gospel than the one you, uh, you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, and I love this with Paul. Paul is not, um, Paul is not trying to uh, be kind and soft and sensitive. He says, obviously, by what I just wrote, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If, please, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. You will find as you follow Jesus that there will be times where there's a crossroads in relationships that requires you to follow him and not please somebody else. He said, if I'm trying to please people, I would not even follow Jesus. We know that light does not have fellowship with darkness. There is a real reality that as you follow Jesus, there will be separations at times in relationships because you cannot continue to please the needs and desires of somebody else when God calls you to do other things. He said, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. On the same line of thinking, listen to what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come. I, I think that's right now. When they will not endure sound doctrine. Teaching about Jesus and God's word. But wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers. You know what that is? YouTube. They will accumulate teachers. I don't need to go to church. I will find the teachers that I like best because what they say to me doesn't rub me the wrong way. And I'll just log in and save them. And every single week, rather than going to church, I'll just listen to the optimism and the positivity. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to what? Their own desires. That's not the gospel. There are measures of the gospel, but that's not the whole. See, what both of these scriptures point to is the fact that there were gospels that were being preached back then and right now that are deviations from the true, authentic, whole gospel. These deviations may contain some elements of the gospel, but not all of the elements of the gospel. In other words, they are fractions of the gospel and not the whole. Much of what I hear, now let me just say something. I don't believe that about here. Call me biased? Just listen to the sermons and make up your mind for yourselves. I don't, I'm not saying that about here, but I feel a weight from the Holy Spirit to ensure that we are people that will endure sound doctrine. 
Often the best way to deal with a problem is before it ever manifests itself. So you talk about these things when they're not a problem so that they don't become a problem. Are you listening to what I'm saying? I sense in my spirit this happening in the world today. See, much of what I hear proclaimed from pulpits across the country are elements of the gospel message that are just fractions of the gospel. They take the pieces of the gospel that are most palatable palatable and easy to embrace, like grace, and they harp on them over and over and over again. And tragically, some of the most transformative truths of the gospel are laid to the side. It's not... It's not, listen, and here's the thing, that's not only the, sad, the saddest thing. Not only are there false teachers that are seeking to lead believers away from the whole gospel, but as 2 Timothy 4.3 said, there's actually a market for it. My God, I wish there wasn't a market for half of the gospel. I wish that there were not people who would accumulate teachers to just itch and tickle their ears with all the good stuff. He said there will come a time where the whole gospel will not be preached because people will accumulate just the good stuff that's easy to digest, the palatable stuff. My question to the church in America, if I could ask it, is this. If the gospel that you are receiving, seeking, and embracing only satisfies your desires. Is it even the gospel? Is it even the gospel? See, whenever you or I begin to alter the whole gospel, whenever we begin to take away from the message the things we don't like it and add to it the things that we do like, there's a critical mistake that we make. In doing this, we lose the transformative substance of the original message. Half of the gospel will not transform us. It won't. You cut off all of the power. It's just impotent. It's powerless. Listen to what Paul says about the whole gospel in one of the most corrupt cultures that has ever graced the planet. In Romans 1.16, he said, For I, Paul, am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why did Paul say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Because there are components of this glorious message that are so offensive to the human spirit that everyone who spreads it will be tempted to withhold these truths out of a fear of people's reaction. They will want to withhold them out of fear of what people will think. And he said, I'm not ashamed. I've already been scorned for following him. I'm not ashamed. This is the message. He said, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. In other words, the power of the transformation is in you embracing the whole thing. That word power is dunamis. means it's inherent power. It's actually contained within the message. And when you don't receive and embrace the whole thing, you can 
not have to question why you're not seeing transformation. Because you have severed the power off from what you've embraced. Let me just tell you something. If the gospel has ever offended you, that is an indication that it is doing its job. If it's never offended you, it's not the message. Okay, I'm just going to say that in the next three weeks, there are going to be things that I share that a lot of people will be quiet about. That will want to avoid me in the hallway about. That will want to send email after email to dbenpastor at aol.com. And by all means, send them. But if the gospel is not offending you, it's an indication that it's not doing its job. The gospel is not cupcakes and rainbows. It's good news, and it's good news only because there's bad news. If everything is good, what does good news even mean? You have to know good news because of the bad news. On this topic, Joel Stockstill writes this about a parts and pieces gospel. He says a false gospel that is holding, this gospel is a false gospel that is holding back critical elements that give the gospel power and punch. This type of gospel will lead to carnal, living, and unbelieving churchgoers who never turn from sin and always need affirmation of their true standing with God. This gospel is not producing lifelong Christians. Let me just say this. When we have a body of Christ that is constant, in constant need of affirmation, that is an indication that godliness and holiness is not a heart's desire. When you are pursuing godliness and holiness and you want to please God with your life, you're not worried about affirmation. Affirmation often is the byproduct of the fact that you have allowed sin in your life to coexist with your faith and it makes you so uncomfortable. You want to see God and say, is this still okay? Can I still do this? Is this okay? I, I need you to tell me that you still love me. Even though, no, what needs to happen is you need to see sin for sin. And you have to say, that is wrong. That does not please the heart of God. And until I reconcile the fact that this is wrong and I cannot allow it to coexist in my faith, I will not, I will continue to need the affirmation of God to say, are you, are you mad at me? Are you mad at me? It doesn't produce lifelong Christianity, folks. When we only share and receive parts and pieces of the gospel message and not the whole message of the gospel, we remove the essential power of the gospel that brings true transformation. And I don't know about you, but I see a movement today, and it's a current trend called Christian deconstruction. And in this movement, there are Christians. Now, this may not be older folks, but this is a young generational thing. It's Christian deconstruction. It's this thing that's trending all over social media. I'm a Christian, and I am deconstructing. And what that means is this. I am taking 
ancient boundary stones in the message of the gospel, and I'm calling them into question. And Proverbs said, you should never remove the ancient boundary stones set up by your forefathers. There are things about the gospel that you should never call into question. They are what they are. And so we have a generation that's deconstructing things that are fundamental to the power of gospel. And they realize the reason why they have no transformation is because they did not embrace the whole at the beginning. It's deconstructing faith. In this movement, there are Christians. Yeah, and that's what the millennials sound like. Wow. I don't like it. And God's like, I don't care because I'm God and I don't change. In this movement, there are Christians that are rethinking faith and letting go of previously held beliefs, sometimes to the point of no longer identifying as Christians. And here is what I believe about this movement. I believe this is the direct result of a body of believers that have embraced and accepted a part of the gospel and not the whole. Because here's the truth. Deconstructing your Christianity would happen less frequently if the message that you first received clearly communicated the cost of following Jesus and not just the benefits. If you believe in him, you'll go to heaven. Come on, believe in him real quick and you'll go to heaven. The goal, no The goal is a benefit and reward of your faith in Jesus, but it's not the goal. The goal is to cause sin to no longer be a separation between you and God. When I talk to, if I get in an argument with my wife, I don't repent and apologize so she can go make me breakfast. I repent and apologize so that we can be connected again. Sin has caused a chasm in the heart of humanity and we're not just we're not just saying a prayer real quick so that we can get the benefit of the relationship you know if that's the only goal you will hate heaven because God is at the center what makes heaven heaven is God Deconstructing Christianity is a movement that is a direct byproduct of a hyper grace with little to no truth. When following Jesus becomes all about the benefits without understanding the cost associated, people build their faith on a flimsy foundation that falls apart when things get hard. We will never be transformed by a gospel that is built around what benefits me and God is going to meet all of my desires. The whole gospel is bigger than that. We have, to not be, we have to be careful to not reduce the gospel of Jesus Christ to only that which is culturally relevant. The gospel is this. It is grace and it's truth. Both. You ever, um, I, I'll ask Allison, hey Allison, uh, what do you want for dinner? You want Chipotle or pizza? And her answer will be Yes. Is the gospel grace? Yes. Is the gospel truth? Yes. Is it salvation? Yes. Is it surrender? Yes. It's all of it. It's not one or the other. It's grace and truth. It's salvation and surrender. It's godliness. It's Jesus as Savior and as Lord. 
It's relationship with Jesus and living by his commands. It's the prosperity of God and the suffering for Jesus. I hate to tell you, but there are Christians in North Korea that are praying silent prayers, and it's not declarations and decrees and sowing seed for prosperity. It's just not. There is an Americanization of our relationship with Jesus that has tainted the gospel where we run from suffering. It's going to church and embracing accountability. It's Jesus dying for me and me dying to my flesh. It's both. It's accepting Christ and repenting of sin. It's God, it's Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And it, I'm just going to take it a step further because I will go to churches and I will read what their beliefs are about the Holy Spirit. And all it is is that he convicts you of unrighteousness. That is a reduction of the Holy Spirit. He is more than that. Yeah, that's one thing. But the reason why that's the only thing on the website is because all the other stuff is offensive. Because when someone speaks in tongues and you can't interpret it, you don't know what's going on. This church is crazy. Mind your business. I'm having a conversation with Jesus in a language you can't understand. I don't get mad at Duncan if he's singing. I need an interpretation, Duncan. Once again, if the gospel isn't offending you, it's not doing its job. Now, I'm not saying that we just go around and we just offend people because let me just talk to the Facebook Christians that hide behind their screen and just say rude stuff all the time. That's not bearing any fruit. That's not bearing any fruit. It's just not. It's Christian trolling, and that is sin. It's sin. God is not pleased with that. It's not pleasing to him. You can hide behind the screen, but you can, God is looking at you typing. God, I, I hate to tell you, but God's not on the other side of the screen. He's in the room with you as you're typing it. David, it's accepting Christ and repenting of sin. It's God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. It's the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's being a convert. And more than that, it's being a disciple. It's not one or the other. It's both. As David Platt once said, we are redefining Christianity. We are giving into the dangerous temptation to take the Jesus of the Bible and twist him into a version of Jesus we are more comfortable with. A nice middle-class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and who would never call us to give away everything that we have. A Jesus who would not expect us to forsake our closest relationship so that he receives all of our affection. A Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion that does not infringe on our comforts. Because after all, he loves us just the way we are. He loves you right where you are, but he does not love you that much that he will leave you right where you are. My wife loves me so much, she will challenge my chubbiness. <laughs> Love that for me. <laughs> yeah. 
a Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion that does not infringe on our comforts because after all, he loves us just the way we are. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid... <laughs> Have a conversation about Paul, with Paul about balance. Have... Have a conversation with anyone who has made an impact for the kingdom of God about balance. Let me just tell you this. When you're burning for Jesus, you don't think about balance. Because you're burning. Jeremiah said, your word has been shut up like a fire in my bones. Indeed, I can't hold it in. I have to do something with the burning on the inside of me. You only think of balance when you're not burning. Balance. Who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes and who, for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who brings us comfort and prosperity as we live out Christian spin on the American dream. But do you and I realize what we're doing at this point? We are molding Jesus into our image. He's beginning to look a lot like us because after all, that is who we are most comfortable with. And the danger now is that when we gather in our church buildings to sing and lift up our hands and worship, we may not actually be worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. Instead, we may be worshiping ourselves. I'll never forget, I went to a conference, a youth conference in Birmingham, Alabama. It was called Motion, great youth conference. I think Jason might have went... Great youth conference. Awesome. Kathy went. It was great. And we had a leadership uh, session. We had a leadership session. session. We went to the leadership session. I'm sitting in the front row, going to listen to the speaker. And I began to notice something very interesting. Every, I'm not kidding, this was a room probably full of 200 pastors. Every one of them had coffee, a cross necklace, a V-neck, skinny jeans <laughs> and a super hard part that was combed over or like the I don't even know what this is <laughs> and I'm thinking either I didn't get a memo <laughs> or we think that a look is what builds the church Like, in the body of Christ, are we just worshiping icons and titles and names? Are we worshiping leaders that we want to be like? Paul said, only imitate me if I'm imitating Christ. Like, we're supposed to be reflections. Supposed to actually deflect the attention. Instead, we may be worshiping ourselves. So we have to make sure that the message we are believing about Jesus and about ourselves is the message that he wanted us to receive and believe. So what is the whole gospel? Matthew chapter 4, 17. There's three needs that I'm going to attempt to define in the whole gospel message. I'm only going to get to one today, and it's going to be, Lord willing, brief. But... Matthew chapter 4, 17, here what we see is not only the original message, but the original messenger. 
This is Jesus speaking. He goes out into the wilderness for 48 days and 40 nights. He comes out and he says, From that time, Jesus began to preach a message and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Out of all of the things that Jesus said to commence the preaching of the gospel and the announcement of the kingdom, why did he begin with repent? The answer to that question identifies our first need of the whole gospel. We need to repent because we need the forgiveness of God. We need the forgiveness of God. A gospel message that does not express our absolute need for the forgiveness of Jesus is not the gospel at all. We're not putting our faith in a man. We're putting our faith in a God. It has been said that if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, he would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, he would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so he sent us a savior. And let me just tell you something about the gospel. The truth about the gospel is before we would ever want the forgiveness of God, the gospel communicates our need for the forgiveness of God. Because if you've never heard the gospel, it is very rare for you to acknowledge that you need the forgiveness of God. The gospel message clarifies our need, and then it becomes a want. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Welcome to church. <laughs> Let's just praise God for everyone in the room being a sinner. Come on. <laughs> this is church. By the way, this is church. No one uh, has a higher ranking or pole position on anybody. We have all fallen short. Hey, and here's the good news. Let's all take a deep breath. We're all falling short. <laughs> we didn't just used to fall short. It is an ongoing process of falling short. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. I love how the NLT says it. He says, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short. This is what falls short of the glory of God is. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. The reason why the gospel is good news is because of the bad news. God has a perfect standard. If God didn't have a perfect standard, he would not be God. He would be us, and we don't follow anybody long term. We all fall short because we have all fallen short of that standard. Falling short of that standard is what we call sin. Sin in the Greek literally means we've missed the mark. God has a mark. It's a high calling. It's a high expectation for humanity. It's the standard of what he would expect out of us. And we fall short of that mark. We fall short of that standard. And that is what sin is. It's not about what I think. Listen, it's not about, listen, I, when I ever hurt Allison, it's not just when I think I've hurt her. It's about when I violate, violate her standard of what is acceptable. 
I need you to think about this. It's not about what I think is right or wrong. It's about what I have done that has hurt her according to her standard. So it is with God. We don't get to determine what our standard of what is acceptable and what isn't. God is the one that determines the standard. When we stand before God in the next life, there will not be negotiations about what I thought was sin and what he thought was sin. It's his standard, not mine. I'm not going to be able to stand before God and say, see, what had happened was when I would get spanked by my dad, he would come into the room and I'd be like, let me explain. This is why I punched my sister. No, it's very logical. It's very clear. This is why it's... Let me tell you why I pushed her out into the snow and locked the door. It's clearly logical. We're not going to have any sort of conversations about the standard when we stand before Jesus. We need forgiveness not for what we think is sin against God. We need forgiveness for what God thinks is sin against Him. And the Bible tells us not only that we've fallen short, but it also tells us that we were born into sin. Sin is our default nature. Uh, it's the reason why uh, no one works hard on the road when someone cuts you off to raise a certain finger. Am I wrong? It's our default nature. Sinning is effortless. If you don't believe that, you've never had kids. <laughs> never. Kids are born bad. <laughs> so the sin that we, we act on, the Bible says there's a penalty. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin are death. And that's by... The, by it's not just physical death. That word in the original language is eternal torment. So when was the last time you heard a message about hell and church? This is concerning for me. It's concerning that we don't talk about hell. The wages of sin is eternal torment. That's what the Bible says. The Bible goes on to say that our sin separates us from having a personal relationship and connection with God. Our sin separates us from God, and as a result of that, our human experiences suffer from that separation, for we were designed to live in an ongoing connection with God, and sin causes a schism between our spirits and the Spirit of God. The Spirit inside of you starves without that connection. Do you... Um, we're watching, uh, Allison and I are watching a show called Alive. Anybody, is, or is, is it called Alive? What is it called? Alone, sorry, Alone. It's this show about these people that will go out into the middle of nowhere and see how long they can survive for $500,000. Uh, and here's the other thing. It's they don't know when the other person um, quits. So they're isolated. They have to find their food. They have to make shelter. They have to find, like, it's the whole thing. And they will result, they will resolve to eat anything when they're starving. I mean, I've seen people pull tree bark off the, the tree and try to digest it. This is what your spirit is like when you're starved. 
you will resolve to eat anything. You will resolve to eat anything when your spirit is starved from that connection with God. So our spirits were designed to be in that connection. So we all need forgiveness because we all fall short. We're born into sin, have sinned, sinning, have sinned, are sinning, and we will sin again. This is why Jesus begins his gospel message with repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does repent mean? And we're going to go into this next week. But here's a simple understanding of repentance. Repentance is this. It is to come to terms with the truth that sin separates you from connection and relationship with God. It's coming to terms with that. So that was the bad news, but here's the good news. The good news is that the same God who has a standard that we have all fallen short of is also the same God that offers us forgiveness for every single time that we've fallen short. This forgiveness has only been offered to us through the shedding of, of blood. By the way, that was God's standard. Our bloodshed will not provide our own forgiveness. For as Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, and the blood that would have to be shed could only be shed by someone who was without sin, for God would never accept a blood offering for the forgiveness of sin from a person who was contaminated by sin. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Make no mistake about it, before we ever may personally want the forgiveness of God, the gospel of of Jesus Christ expresses our need for the forgiveness of God, but thanks be to God that the message of Jesus just doesn't tell us what we are, that we're in need of forgiveness without providing the means to be forgiven. Jesus is the forgiver. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain but he has washed it white as snow. The whole gospel expresses our desperate need to be forgiven. And the good news of the gospel is that God who requires our debt to be paid is the same God that would pay that debt for us. Will you stand with me? When was the last time that you asked God for forgiveness? It's a serious question. When was the last time you got on your knees or you were alone and you were aware of a choice that you made that had fallen short of God's standard and you said, God, will you forgive me? When was the last time? Is that something that you do often? See, here's the thing. I think that that act actually keeps the gospel in the forefront. Say, God, I'm sorry. I know that I fell short there. I know that I'm in need of forgiveness. Now, what I don't want is the opposite extreme, that we are so aware of sin that we don't celebrate the grace of Jesus. This message is to prevent the extreme. It's to get to the center. But when was the last time 
that you ask God for forgiveness. When was the last time that you thanked God for his forgiveness? When was the last time that you recognized that there is nothing you can do within your own power to earn God's forgiveness? My point is that let us not become so familiar with this great and glorious gospel that we lose our wonder for what God has done. Right now, if you're in the room and you just know somewhere throughout the message, maybe you've become more and more aware of some areas in your life that you've just fallen short. You've fallen short of God's standard. The Bible says this, and it's so good. It's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Here's what I want to do. I just want to close giving you the opportunity right where you are to speak to Jesus. Jesus, here's where I've fallen short. I know it. I know I've fallen short here. And God, I ask for your forgiveness. I embrace my need for forgiveness. Not just my need when I got saved, my ongoing need. It's all covered, guys. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is that when you put these things into practice, it causes your heart to remain sensitive to who Jesus is. So right now, wherever you are, if that's you, I just want you to take a moment and speak to Jesus about an area that you've fallen short, and then I'm going to pray. Before I close in prayer, if you're in the room and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity right now. Maybe you put your faith in Jesus at one time, but maybe the message that you received was not even what we just talked about. And you recognize in a very new and fresh way your need for for Jesus, your need for forgiveness. If that's you in the room, will you just slip your hand up so I can see? I just want to give you the opportunity. Awesome. So good. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your gospel. We thank you that when the gospel is preached, Jesus comes because you are the word. Lord, we pray that through this series, we would embrace the whole. Father, if there have been pieces and parts that we have chosen to elevate or chosen to remove things that we've added or subtracted from the whole gospel because we wanted it to make us feel better, we wanted it to be more appealing, we wanted to avoid the hard things, God, I pray that we would be a church that embraces the whole thing. And Father, that as we embrace it, we would experience that dunamis, transformative power that causes us to change, causes us to become more like you, causes us to overcome addictions, causes us to love our wives well and love our husbands well and love our kids well and love people well. 
that causes us to be able to let go of every hindrance, every sin that so easily entangles us, that we can run the race with perseverance that's been set out before us. God, we thank you for this church and for these people. Pray a blessing over them this week, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We love you. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.